Hello, everybody. This is Pastor Jeff Dahl, Senior Pastor of Stockbridge Community Church. I want to say thank you for joining us online. It is our prayer that today's message would be helpful and meaningful to your life. If you're in the South Atlanta area, I would personally like to invite you to come to one of our Sunday services at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., or 12 p.m. If you'd like to support God's work through Stockbridge Community Church, simply click the Give Online link at the upper right-hand corner in your web browser. And let me say it again, thank you so much for joining us today. My name's Chesney, and I'm the family ministry pastor here, and it's my privilege to get to bring the message today, and the second message actually in our new series called Happy Habits. And if you missed last week's, I hope that you will go online and listen to Pastor Jeff as he kicked off this message uh, or this series. It was just fantastic. Well, I don't know about you, but I like to be in control sometimes. Now, my husband Danny would say that's all the time, but sometimes I like things my way. Is there anybody here today that would say, I'm with you? I'm a control freak. Yep. All of us are control freaks. Well, one of the situations in our house where we uh, strive for control many times is the television remote. Um, when Danny is in control of the, of the remote, I'm watching um, First 48, um, Cops, or Football, and I feel tortured. And when I'm in control of the remote, um, he's watching chick flicks and reruns of the episodes of shows uh, called Friends, uh, which is on, you know, any Friends fans in the audience? Okay, thank you. Not by myself. Uh, so he feels tortured. And, uh, but unfortunately now we have another person in the mix who um, has opinions all his own about television shows that he prefers to watch. So this is Drew, he's 19 months old, and if we've not hidden the remote well enough into the couch, he finds it and changes it, and, uh, or he just points to it and grunts because he doesn't like what's on. And so these are silly things in our household that we um, fight over, they're real, but kind of silly. And, and I found that it's funny that um, sometimes in our life, in, in more serious situations, more difficult situations, situations that require a lot of um, emotion maybe out of us because the, the situation is extreme, that we tend to relinquish our control of how we're feeling. We say things like, well, I just can't help the way I feel. Or that's just the way I am. Or he just knows how to push my buttons. Or she just knows how to set me off. And so we act like we have no control over how we're feeling or how, not necessarily how we're feeling because sometimes we don't, things just happen, but how we respond, I think, is a better way to say that. But I think that sometimes we call, we, we fall into the trap of what I would say is when and then thinking. We think our happiness depends on all of our external circumstances, we say things like, well, when he changes, then I'll be happy. Or when she starts seeing things my way, then I'll be happy. When I go to college, then I'll be happy. When I get out of high school, then I'll be happy. When I get married, then I'll be happy. When I have a baby, when my kids leave the house, then I'll be happy. It's the trap of when and then thinking. But can I tell you today, before we go any further, that happiness is not our goal. Happiness is a byproduct of right actions 
and right thinking. Happiness is not our goal, but it is a byproduct of, our, of right actions and right thinking on our part. It's kind of like this remote I have here with emoticons all over it. Some of you younger kids will know about all this. Um, we find this on social media. We find this in our text messages sometimes. Whatever we're feeling yesterday, maybe many of you were feeling loved on Valentine's Day, and so you uh, posted the, the happy heart face. Sometimes we're feeling annoyed or angry or sad or lonely, and we post whatever we're feeling. And we kind of do this in life. Theoretically, when we're feeling sad, we tend to feed our sadness by theoretically continuing to push the sad button. When we're feeling angry, we tend to feed our anger by theoretically continuing to feed or push the angry button. When what we all desire is to be happy. And so I would ask you today to think with me, if I choose happiness, if I choose right thinking and right actions, can I create in my life the outcomes that I want? And I think today the answer over a period of time is yes. But I don't want to be naive this morning. I understand there are things that we go through that make us feel or cause us to have emotions that maybe we can't control. There are barriers to our happiness in life. And so we're going to write some of those down. The first one, I think, is pain. Now, just this week, my sister, who's 36 years old, uh, was diagnosed with shingles. And so if any of you have had experiences with shingles, you know they are very painful. And it's very difficult to be happy and in pain at the same time whether emotional, whether physical, whatever type of pain you're in, that is a barrier. The second barrier, I would say, and I think you would agree, is people. People we work with. Some of you are looking at the person next to you. Don't do that. Annoying people. People frustrate us. They're picky people. They're people that will cause us to be irritated. They can be a barrier at times to our happiness. I think the third uh, barrier may be pressure. Pressure. Pressure that we feel from within our own selves. Pressure from without that we feel from others. And the last barrier, I think, is problems. Problems. We all experience problems. And so with all these things, when we're uh, trying to be happy, they can become a barrier. The, the Apostle Paul writes the book of Philippians, and that is the book of the Bible that we are looking at through this entire series. I would say it's the happiest, it's the most joyful book in the entire Bible. And yet Paul is writing this to tell us how to be happy no matter what, and he's not writing from a mountaintop in a cabin. He's not writing it from a beach somewhere. Paul is writing this book from prison. And over the last four years of Paul's life up until this point, it's been very challenging to say the least. In fact, the first two years, Paul was falsely accused and imprisoned in Caesarea. He finds himself then on a boat heading toward Rome 
and is shipwrecked in the Mediterranean Sea. He, with some of his friends, are now stranded on a desert island with poisonous snakes all around, and Paul is bitten by one. You think you've had a bad week. Then Paul is now put in a boat, and he's sent to Rome, and he finds himself imprisoned in Rome for over two years, but chained to a guard 24 hours a day. No privacy at all. Paul has every reason to be bitter, to be sad, to be angry. He has every reason to have a pity party and to continue to feed these emotions. I don't blame him if he did. But Paul chooses to be happy no matter what. And he chooses happiness. So today we're going to look at how he's modeled this for us and what we can learn from him and how we can try to get to the point that Paul is in his happiness. Let's look at number one. I think the first way that Paul models this is that he says to look at every problem from God's viewpoint. Look at every problem from God's viewpoint. Happy people have a larger perspective on life. Happier people step back And although they see a very difficult situation in front of them, begin to talk themselves into faith. And that is, God, I know you must be doing something bigger here. That's how you see it from God's viewpoint. It's not just positive thinking, but it's seeing things by faith and believing that God has a bigger plan. Terrible things happened. Terrible things have happened to you, to people that you know in our community just within the last few weeks. Terrible things have taken place. But happier people will step back and by faith believe that God has a bigger plan and they choose to trust that plan. Paul knew this in Philippians 1 and verse 12. He says this, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me has helped spread the good news. See, Paul had a God-sized dream within him that when he was converted and he came to Christianity on the road to Damascus, you can read about that in Acts, when he became a Christian, he had a dream place within him. And it's that he would go to Rome and that he would preach there. See, anybody that was anybody wanted to go to Rome. It was the capital of the empire. It was the most strategic place on the earth. The most advanced. Every preacher wanted a church in Rome. They wanted a place called Rome Community Church, I guess. I don't know. They wanted to be there where everything was happening. God had a different plan for Paul. And Paul finds himself in prison. God Is this your plan? Is this your brilliant plan? I mean, don't we have conversations like that with God sometimes? Nero was Caesar at this time. I don't know about you, but I just thought Caesar's name was Caesar, but it wasn't. Caesar was a title, and so Nero was Caesar at this time, and he was one of the most wicked men there were, especially to Christians, brutally persecuting them. And Paul finds himself... a a royal prisoner in the royal royal guard of Caesar, of Nero, 
again, chained to a guard 24 hours a day. And in the royal guard, they would change out the guard every four hours, history tells us. So over a two-year period of time, if you do the math, Paul possibly could have talked to over 4,380 guards. I would say that's a lot of influence that he could have. I would say that's bigger than most churches if you put them all together in this town, right? All together, add them all up, that's bigger. That's more, more influence than any person would usually have maybe in, in their entire life. And Paul is chained to them every day. I would ask, who's the prisoner now, right? He has a captive audience. And so they're having to sit there and listen. And so Paul, I think God was looking at Paul going, let's see, preach a revival in Rome or sit chained to a guard. Because see, Paul was a guy that wasn't, was always on the move. And I think God found a way to keep him still. And he sat, and one thing Paul could do while he was sitting was write. And so as we're looking at God's bigger perspective, Paul has all this influence, and now he's writing. Let's see, what is he writing? Let's see, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, most of the New Testament. What has the bigger impact? God's perspective was different than Paul's dream. God had a different plan. Now I know some of you find yourself today sitting in a situation that looks very bleak. I just talked with a lady in the last service that just lost her husband two weeks ago. Very difficult. How can you be happy in the midst of those circumstances? Well, I think we have to do what Paul did. And I think that we, if you will just humor me today, if you would just bow your head just right where you are, and I want you to think about that problem that you're facing or maybe someone else is very close to you, and I want you to say these words just in your heart. God, help me see this problem from your perspective. God, help me see this problem through eyes of faith. Amen. See, when we begin to do that with our problems, we start asking those questions. God, what are you doing? God, what are you planning? God, what kind of thing are you going to work for my good? And when you walk through your problems by faith, you become a witness to unbelievers and you become an encouragement to believers. That's why I've chosen Jeremiah 29 and 11. As our memory verse for the week, I hope that you'll put this in your heart if you haven't already. And it says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a what? God has a plan for you. He doesn't choose to harm you. He doesn't plan to harm you. He chooses to give you hope and a future. But what God will do is that every bit of our sin he'll put in the, in the bowl, in the mixing bowl. All of our faults he'll put in the mixing bowl. Everything that people do to us, he'll put in the mixing bowl. And he creates a plan that could be something that we can never imagine, we can never dream. The second thing that I think Paul modeled for us is number two, never let others control my attitude. Never let others control 
my attitude. I don't let people decide what I'm feeling. I never give this over to anyone else, this remote control I keep in my possession at all times. So that I'm always choosing. And Paul understood this as well. Verses 15 through 17, he talks about all the people that are against him. We're just going to look at verse 15. He says this about his critics. It is true that some preach Christ because they are jealous. And what? Ugh, don't you know some people like that? Do you just circle that word? Paul was saying there's some people here in this day that just like to preach just to argue. Do you know anybody that just likes to argue? They just like conflict. They just like competition. They just like to create chaos, always trying to be first and one-up each other uh, because they have this need to be approved by other people. There's a story that I came across of this young man that was in college. He was a pre-med student at Harvard University, and he was at the top of his class, very brilliant guy. He decides that the summer of his sophomore year that he's going to go to Tibet. And there, as he's walking through the mountains of Tibet, he comes across a monastery. And he finds there some Buddhist monks, and he begins to talk to them, and they begin to talk about his life and, and where he's at. And, and one says to him, don't you see the poison that you're putting into your soul? You're always trying to be first. You're always trying to have the best grade. You're always trying to be number one. Even the girls that you're interested in are the ones that everybody else wants to be with. You're not looking at marriage as a partnership for life. You're just competing. Why don't you come and just live here with us? And you'll find happiness. Well, this guy had a lot to think about. I mean, he had just graduated from the, uh, a very competitive high school. He was number one in his class. Now he was number one in the pre-med department. In the, and, and so what was he going to do? And so he decided that would be the best thing. And so he calls his parents and tells them that he's dropping out of school and that he's going to be a Buddhist monk. Well, six months later, when he thought maybe his parents had calmed down a bit, he writes a letter. He says this, Dear Mom and Dad, I know you weren't happy with the decision I made last summer, but I want to tell you that I'm doing great. For the first time in my life, I am at peace. Here, there is no competing, no hustling, no trying to get ahead of anyone else. Here, we are all equal. This way of life is in harmony with the inner essence of my soul that in only six months, I have become the number two disciple in the entire monastery. And I think I will be number one by June. He learned nothing, right? He didn't understand that his environment is not what needed changing. When we change our environment, we change nothing. When we change what's on the inside, we have the possibility to change everything. Choosing happiness is a byproduct of right actions and right thinking. And we're going to be miserable if we try to live for the approval of everyone. Look at Paul's attitude in verse 18. Talking about his critics. He said, these critics, these conspirators, these competitors, they're always trying to get me down. But what others do, he goes on to say, what these people do, it doesn't 
really matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether for right or wrong reasons, the message of Christ is being shared. So I am happy and I will what? Continue to be happy. I choose happy. My circumstances are terrible, but I choose right actions and right thinking. I choose joy. We have a choice. The third thing I think Paul modeled for us in how to be happy no matter what is number three, always trust God to work things out. Always trust God to work things out. When we have difficulty in our lives, we have two choices. We can worship or we can worry. We can pray or we can panic. Those are our choices. I don't know about you, but in my personal life, I fight worry and panic almost every day. Every day. When Danny and I were going through our adoption process with Drew, and many of you have heard our story, but there were times of panic and that our birth mother, who we thought was clean, no longer using drugs, we found out she, during her pregnancy, was using drugs, and then at one point she was missing. And at this point, we've already invested thousands of dollars in this process, and we begin to panic. And we're just on the verge of, of just calling it off. And we understood that we could panic or we could pray. And we panicked for a minute and then we prayed. And we found people that could pray with us. And they began to help turn our worry into worship. Help turn our panic into prayer. Paul says in Philippians 1 and 19, this is so key. I pray you leave with this today. I will, he says, continue to rejoice. We circle I will. That's a choice. That's something we can choose to do. It doesn't mean our circumstances are happy. We may not even feel happy, but we can choose to rejoice. He goes on to say, For I know that as you pray for me, and as the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, all that's happened will all turn out for my deliverance. Paul says, I will. I draw a line in the sand. I will. I choose joy. And then he goes on to say, for I know. It's not what I see. It's not what I feel. I live by what I know. And I know that God has not forsaken me. He goes on to say, I have people praying for me. I don't know about you, but sometimes I need God with skin on. I need people in my life that I can touch and I can hear them pray for me. And I can feel that they have touched God with their prayers. He goes on to say, the Holy Spirit helps me. And then he says, I expect to be delivered. I have faith that God is working this for my good. There comes a time when we have to accept our circumstances for what they are. They are circumstances. And we can't control them. But we choose. We choose joy. We choose happiness. We have a choice. We control our actions and our thinking. The fourth thing that I think Paul modeled for us and how to be happy no matter what 
is focus on my purpose, not my problem. I have to stay focused on my purpose, not my problem. If I can learn to do this, if you can learn to do this, we can be happy even when life is falling apart. Picture this with me now. Paul is old. He's in prison. He's awaiting execution. It's not a happy time. They've taken his freedom. They've taken his friends. They've taken his ability to, to go into ministry. Taken his privacy. He's chained to a guard all day. It's not a happy time. I'm sure he feels sad, but he says there's one thing they can't take away. I choose to rejoice because there's one thing they can't take, and that's my purpose. In verse 21, Paul states his purpose, and he says this, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That is so amazing to me. Because even Paul says, I have a purpose in living, but I also have a purpose in dying. What is your purpose today? Can I tell you what your purpose today is? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's to serve God and serve others. Many people don't understand that they'll, they'll continue to live in misery if they're not giving of themselves. That when we're always focused on us and what we don't have and what nobody's done for me and, and this kind of thinking, we continue to feed the sad feeling. But we choose right actions and we choose right thinking by serving. Serving God. Serving others. See, happiness doesn't come from self-gratification, from position, from pleasures. It comes from self-sacrifice. Giving of yourself. Happiness comes from self-sacrifice. If somebody came up to you and asked you to fill in the blank, for me to live is blank. What is that for you? Is it family? Is it sports? Is it your job? Is it your friends? School? What is it? None of those things are bad. They're all good. But they just don't deserve first place. And so today, if you'd say, you know what, Chesney, I've been dealing with this. You know, I, I, I've not found happiness in my life. I've always tried to put other things, and I've, ne I've never really tried Jesus, really. And I want to do that today. And so today in your program, there's a prayer that you can pray right at your seat to yourself. I'm not going to raise your hand or come forward. Not gonna, nobody will even know but you and God. But I'd ask you today to take out that prayer and that you would look at it. It says... Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Guide my life and help me to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. See, if you mean that prayer in your heart today, then you can fill in the blank with what the right thing is, the one that created you, the one that made you, the one that gave you life. Jesus Christ, I ask you to settle that in your heart today. And on the back of your connection card, at some point in this service, where it says next steps, would you check step number one that just says, I'm choosing to become a Christ follower? 
in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl found himself, even though he was a Jewish psychiatrist, found himself in a Nazi war camp. And as he stood before the Gestapo, stark naked, they had taken everything he had. They'd even taken his wedding ring. His friends had been gassed. His family had been murdered. And as he stood there, something occurred to him. And it was this. There's one thing they can't take. And that's my ability to choose to respond in the way that I want to respond. They can't take away my purpose, and they can't take my power of choice. I would say today, happiness isn't our goal. Happiness is a byproduct of right thinking and right actions. And in spite of everything that we do, if we choose right, happiness will be the byproduct. Today, on the back of your connection card, I'd ask you to do to look at two other options. One is a prayer that we prayed earlier in the service. I will do my best by faith to see my problems from God's perspective. Are you in a problem right now and you, you need God to help you see that from His perspective? Would you check that box just as a sign of faith? Hey God, I know you got a bigger plan. And thirdly, will you hold on to your power of choice? And understand that you choose. You choose what you feed your mind. You choose what you feed your emotions. Doesn't mean you don't feel sadness or anger or frustration. But you choose by what your actions are, by what your thinking is. And by that, no one can take your purpose. And no one can take your choice. Choose happiness. Just in a moment, there's going to be prayer partners here. If you'd like to pray with someone, they would love to do that. Or if you'd just like to come and kneel and pray on your own, we want to open that up as an opportunity for you today. Be happy no matter what. Thank you again so much for joining us online at SCC. I would love to know that you're out there listening and be able to connect with you. If you would... Email me at jeffdaws at sccview.net. The spelling of my name is J-E-F-F-D-A-W-S. I pray you have a blessed week and join us again soon.